back to Lead Up Katie Cast here with my friends Jake LeBlanc, principal at Katie Junior High, and Mark McCord from Stockdick Junior High, and I'm Christopher Bailey, assistant principal at Stockdick Junior High. Thanks for joining us again. Today we're going to be talking about engagement. You know, that's a word that has bounced around a lot in public education or in education in general, and um, I want to talk a little bit about what engagement is and define how we can see engagement in the classroom. And this is going to be the first of a little mini-series on engagement, and we're going to start again with what engagement is today, and then in subsequent episodes talk about what it's not and how we can uh, move from the disengaged student or disengaged person, might be a teacher, staff member, parent, uh, to a more engaged an inclusive environment in our schools. So one of the uh, one of the texts that we're going to reference quite a bit uh, in this mini series is Jennifer Frederick's Eight Myths of Student of Student Disengagement, which uh, is a book that has uh, guided a lot of my practice over the last couple of years uh, in really defining what engagement is, and I know it has for these gentlemen as well. So. Uh, if you haven't read that book, I highly encourage it as a resource. You don't necessarily have to read it cover to cover in one sitting, but something that you can go back to and reference along the way. So let's dig in a little bit and then talk about what is engagement. As Fredericks describes, and I would agree, engagement can be defined in three different areas, behavioral engagement, cognitive engagement, and emotional engagement. So we're going to hit behavioral engagement first. So gentlemen, let me just throw out the the question. What does behavioral engagement look like when you enter the classroom and see students working? Well, I'll I'll speak to what it what it doesn't look like. And so, you know, sometimes uh, a student sitting very passively and not disrupting, you know, maybe uh, there's some assumptions that might be going on about whether they're engaged or not. And, you know, at the very lowest level, um, they're not being disruptive, but they're not necessarily even behaviorally engaged. This is this this idea of compliance, mm-hmm. sort of uh, actually being on task. Um, you know, you see them with pencil to paper, you know, reading along with with the text, those kinds of things. So really behavioral engagement is about being compliant, uh, following the rules, the directive of the teacher, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're processing at a deep level. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I thought of beyond uh, just the compliance point that uh, Brother Mark brought up was, and I, I just keep thinking to myself of uh, the, the wallflower, the student that just kind of blends in mm-hmm. to the classroom, uh, as, as Mark pointed out, it's hard to determine whether they're engaged or, or, or disengaged because they seem like mm-hmm. just that perfect student. Uh, never complains, never, never is out of order, never disruptive. Uh, yet, how do, I, how do I gauge or how do I determine as the teacher whether or not they're actually engaged or not? Yeah, and uh, as to Mark's point, the absence of behavior or negative behavior um, is not a deep enough understanding of whether a, a child is engaged in the classroom. Uh, just because they sit, uh, mm-hmm. what I like to refer to as passively compliant, uh, doesn't doesn't mean that they are accessing the curriculum. Doesn't mean that they are owning the work in the classroom. And so, 
uh, when we come across a, a student, a child like that, um, it, it begs us to, to dig in a little deeper to, to check for the understanding of that, of that child or to check to see what may be going on mm-hmm. um, with that person that might lead into some of the other uh, areas of engagement. Um, certainly, uh, you know, uh, active participation in class, mm-hmm. following the class mm-hmm. rules, completing homework, um, those kind of things are obvious signs of, engage, of mm-hmm. behavioral engagement. Um, but uh, the absence of those um, could mean uh, disengagement, but just not having the present, uh, not having, uh, you know, behavior problems mm-hmm. could also mean that a child is disengaged. One of the things that I like to uh, look for in classrooms is teachers using total response signals. And, uh, and this is a good way to see if students are just behaviorally engaged, mm-hmm. if they uh, are paying attention in class using a um, thumbs up um, if you uh, if you understand what we're talking about a thumbs down if you don't mm-hmm. that's not really a cognitive uh, skill yet because the the student doesn't actually have to um, know mm-hmm. by by uh, showing a thumbs up or thumbs down um, that's just showing that the student is behaviorally engaged in the class which um, Uh, If used with fidelity, a total response signal is a great way to gauge behavioral engagement. I I remember, you know, I'm going back to my days as a teacher, and uh, one of the early quandaries I can remember having when I was less than masterful at my craft, let's just say that. Uh, That's a kind way to say it. Um, But I can remember sitting down to do my grades and trying to make the decision about the conduct grade, right? And so you, you either have the bubble the E or there was an S for satisfactory or needs improvement or whatever the U if it was really horrible. And I found myself in this weird spot around uh, students who were never disruptive, were always quiet and compliant, but were not passing my class because they were not following through with the assignments. And, you know, that was the first time that I had to challenge myself around what does it really mean to be behaviorally engaged? Because just because you aren't uh, disruptive does not necessarily mean that you are having That's excellent right. behavior. So a part of a part of the basic expectation to be excellent would be not just to sit quietly and not disrupt others' learning, but also to be actively engaged in your own learning. And so that was a struggle early on. I knew that even though they weren't disruptive, I could not put that E in there mm-hmm. if they weren't following through with the tasks that I was asking them to do. Sure. And and uh, in terms of behavior itself, that may look different um, for different, uh, different people, but um, uh, traditionally we have expected... Um, the young ladies to be uh, more reserved and quiet and the young men to uh, to be a little bit more outspoken and mm-hmm. boisterous and our discipline thereof has followed suit right we um, uh, we over discipline uh, uh, males because uh, because they're more outspoken and we under discipline uh, female or we don't discipline females because they're quiet and of course I'm talking about generalities and mm-hmm. and just uh, what uh, traditionally has been, uh, happening in our schools, and therefore we end up taking uh, males out of the classroom for discipline issues and leaving still potentially disengaged females in the classroom um, with so, no intervention. With, with no, no support, intervention, but. and so uh, all that to say, um, if uh, if a if a child, male or female, is just sitting passively by, uh, they certainly could be behaviorally disengaged. And one of the things that keeps 
circulating in my mind is, so how do we measure that? How do you determine engagement? I think, uh, Brother Chris, you pointed out just the questioning, one of the, the techniques uh, that teachers use. And the other one, you know, when I go into, a, say, a master teacher's classroom and there's always just high engagement uh, and the classroom just reeks of activity and just very productive high-level activity, there's a randomization to the teacher's questioning, uh, to his or her monitoring of, of certain situations, asking for particular, uh, I guess, students mm-hmm. in, in a random fashion. And, and they keep up with that because every student's seemingly on the edge of their seat because they know there's an opportunity mm-hmm. that they're going to have to provide something provocative to the conversation no matter what the conversation is centered upon mm-hmm. so i i think the master teachers it's natural for them to get a read and that all goes back to something we've talked about for three years now in podcasting it's, it's building relationships mm-hmm. teachers that know their kids know when they're engaged and when they're disengaged and they do things they strategically do things to engage them mm-hmm. Well, you know, certainly behavioral engagement is not enough, right? So just being on task, having your eyes move across the words on the page or putting your pencil to paper is just not enough. You know, we have to go beyond that. We have to go deeper uh, into that area, what we would consider cognitive engagement, where really the kids are engaged at a higher level, this deeper level of thinking. Um, And so, you know, I think what's interesting whenever we we see some frustrations from kids sometimes when they run up against a teacher, uh, when they may have been successful year after year after year uh, with a low-level compliance, you know, that that game of school, right? You've heard that said before, like they know how to play the game of school. And really what that means to me a lot of times is that they turn in their homework, you know, they do do what they're supposed to do, they don't disrupt, uh, and they run into that teacher that really pushes them to think right really does that and what's interesting is sometimes there can be you'd think that automatically that that things would go great in that classroom but the reality is sometimes those kids that have been your straight a grade motivated kids run up against that teacher that's really not as worried about the compliance as much as they're worried about the deep thinking and challenging the kids and uh sometimes those those folks run up against some uh, some some struggles with parents and sure, students yeah. and all that. I think it's an interesting thing, uh, but it's critical. It's critical that we push our kids to that next level uh, and not just to expect them to be compliant sitting in a chair. Uh, sometimes it's better if it's noisy, but they're engaged at that high level. Yeah, and I, th- I think what you're talking about, Mark, uh, is motivation, you know, and how we get kids' brains thinking uh, a couple of things, motivation, and then certainly um, challenging them at those higher order uh, thinking strategies to to uh, to engage the brain in a different way. Um, it's why I, I loved my work as a band director, because um, uh, it required a higher level of, of thinking whenever you're creating music, whenever you are uh, physically um, involved in creating the music, your brain has no... Uh, no uh, choice but to be engaged cognitively 
but in, in terms of motivation, um, and I, I think that plays a lot in, um, in, in uh, cognitive engagement. I love Dan Pink's um, definition of motivation from the book Drive. I think it's Drive. Drive, yep. Yeah, and um, he says motivation is kind of a three-headed beast. Um, mastery, uh, if we're good at something. Autonomy, uh, if we have the choice um, to, uh, to decide um, what we, how we're going to show our, what we know or what we're going to do. And then that sense of purpose, something greater uh, than themselves. And again, that goes back to my, my band world, you know, being a part of a team, uh, you know, athletics, kind of the same thing, being, uh, having this greater sense of purpose. So um, in the, the content classroom, those teachers, I think of, of Miss um, uh, Rafty and Coach Chadron, who, um, who create this team environment in their classrooms mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and give su- students a, um, a, uh, something to belong to in the classroom. And those teachers who are able to, to create that sense of purpose within their content, I think are the ones that, um, are able to activate the brain at a higher level in, in more students. And I think it was very interesting, Mark, a point that you made relative to this cognitive engagement, uh, in, in, reference to sometime and a, a teacher automate well actually two teachers automatically came to mind uh the point about it's a pro, it's a challenge for students and it's a big challenge for parents mm-hmm. and you know you've got x number of whatever core department or core level or core class it is x number of teachers and you'll hear parents and students say oh my god i've got so-and-so mm-hmm. well <laughs> For me, that's well. You're lucky you have so and so because so and so is going to challenge you beyond your wildest imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the parents who who know this particular teacher I have in mind don't have a problem with it. They they're they're mentally prepared for it and what their child's going to have to endure and and be put through relative to squeezing out the absolute mm-hmm. best cognitively that they're going to get because mm-hmm. uh, this is where it's going to happen. Uh, and it's a, it happens to be an ELA teacher that I'm thinking of that, again, they dread the fact that they're there and getting this particular person, but at the end of the year and for years to come, they will come back and thank this particular teacher for what he or she did to them because they are so hyper-prepared for, for high mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. and beyond. It's not even funny. But you do have those challenges mm-hmm. uh, to begin with, and then you know you just got to work work your way through those and I, you know, tell parents when they call, have, have you talked to teacher? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> nine times out of mm-hmm. ten they haven't. Mm-hmm. But they make it through the year. And then the other point that you made, uh, Brother Chris, I just happened to do an observation in one of my fine arts classes, the 45-minute T-test job. And here in Texas it's T-test. It's whatever, wherever you are out in the world. But there's always an observation. And, oh, my God. I know very little to nothing about Ben, uh, other than the seven years I've served as a principal and been honored to be a part of watching what goes on in that classroom. Mm -hmm. But I'm sitting here watching a band director make adjustments to concert music based upon what the feedback he's getting immediately from the students relative to what might, might might make this piece easier, not easy to the extent that, oh, my God, it's it's easier from a cognitive level, but it's smoother transition, the sound is better, mm-hmm. and he will challenge that student, why? Explain that to me. Make He'll make them play it again, and then he'll say, oh, that does sound better. 
But I mean, the environment, the, 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 the environment in that classroom is one of great challenge, but the kids aren't afraid to take on that challenge mm-hmm. and even question, even question my band director, mm-hmm. which is to me awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just to watch the, the synergy in that classroom, it just blows me away. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to it every time I go. So, you know, just kind of tying up this, this idea of, of cognitive engagement, um, you know, to me, the, the keys to that, and it goes back to what you were describing, Chris, about Dan Pink, uh, the first thing is, is to hit that right level of mastery. Go back to the idea of the, mm-hmm. the proximal zone with Vygotsky, uh, and, you know, where it's not too hard and not too easy, but with some support, they could do it at an independent level. And so uh, really discovering what that is for the student, uh, really on a case-by-case basis, is a huge challenge in the sure. secondary level, but it is really key because, you know, if it's too hard, too much of a stretch, human nature is that we kind of fold. Yeah, you know, right. if it's too easy, we get bored and we, we don't engage. Uh, and then the second element of that is, you know, how do we bring in that autonomy, that sense of choice so that we own our learning, right? Um, and, you know, when you're given state standards, you might feel limited. But what I've discovered, especially through uh, some of the work that we've done with uh, learning continuums and proficiency scales, that the kids can have lots of opportunities to own the way they they show their mastery. So, you know, the type of product, the type of uh, thing they give to the teacher, uh, when you, you allow them to have a variety and a choice in that, that tends to motivate, right? What type of format? Is it a video? Is it uh, in the written word? Is it something else uh, that, that they want to do? A product, you know, posters as, uh, as old school as that seem, a diorama, whatever it is that, uh, that allows the kids to show their mastery the way they want to show it. Uh, is something that typically engages. And, uh, you know, the third area, as we move uh, beyond into this, this idea of emotional engagement, you've kind of brought this in already, Dr. LeBlanc, uh, about it's, it's all about that relationship. Talk exactly. to us a little bit more about what, what do we mean exactly. whenever we talk about emotional engagement. And I'm going to head in that direction, but I, it was interesting as you were speaking relative to the different choices that we give students to motivate them we look for the same thing as adults Mm, sure when we go to meetings or when we go to professional development i'm looking for sessions that are going to get my juices flowing Mm -hmm. that that i'm going to learn something i'm going to be able to apply it and if if somebody has me doing something that's all the better so Mm -hmm. anyway and then then moving on again to the final form of engagement speaking of emotional engagement certainly relationships are critical, but it's how students react to the classroom, the school, and or the teacher, uh, whether or not they have a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And lastly, do they feel valued mm-hmm. as a part of mm-hmm. the school, the class? Yeah, I, th- I think the, the day of, of teaching students, you know, rote information and, and just the, maybe the, the skills they need academically or uh, cognitively uh, are gone. Um, the reality is, as we prepare students or people uh, for the environment that they're going to be working in in the next two, three, four, five decades, um, it's going to rely uh, far less on information as it is on how you work collaboratively with others. And so creating learning environments that supports collaboration, supports um, open thinking, uh, mm-hmm. supports different ways of thinking about about uh, things 
uh, and I'm talking about innovation and I'm talking about um, the entrepreneurial spirit, I think that that is going to be uh, the the best value or the best thing that we can do, the best, the most valuable thing that we can do for students as they move uh, through high school into their careers. So we've got to create that culture mm-hmm. on our campuses mm-hmm. um, to be able to feel comfortable uh, in in sharing with each other. And, um, you know, the reality is we are all going to decide what is socially acceptable um, on our campuses. Uh, so if collaboration uh, is a cool thing, uh, then kids are going to kids are going to get into that. Um, if it's not and we get um, ostracized for trying something new or having a, an idea that's that's a little harebrained or, or hmm. uh, out of this world, um, then that that will shut people down as well. And so um, I encourage uh, folks to to allow students to have an imagination in the classroom, to embrace that, and to um, to create learning environments where where students feel safe to try new things. Mm-hmm. And I, on this topic, I would encourage anyone who hasn't had a chance to follow uh, a particular ed chat. It, it it fits so perfectly into this topic. It was uh, it was last night's ed chat. In fact, and basically preparing schools for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Andrea Townsley and Dan Butler are they moderate the hashtag IA Ed Chat. It's the IO Ed Chat. Just I would encourage anybody out there to. And this is not. I don't work for them, and I'm not getting paid for this. But it's not a commercial. <laughs> They're not getting paid but either. But man, they they do a great job, and this just fits so well because basically, all the elements of engagement. Uh, I think in one way or another, throughout the questioning last night, that the the questions that came up, we probably hit on all these different forms of engagement because, as you pointed out, brother Chris, we we're we're preparing our students for jobs that don't exist at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you do that? That's such an overwhelming task, and part of that there there's none of us are an island uh, that. That thought and that theory went out long ago, I think, uh, many moons ago. Uh, so how do we, as you pointed out, Brother mm-hmm. Chris, get kids to not only work with one another but do so comfortably and be vulnerable? Because mm-hmm. that's, you know, you can even bring in some of Brene Brown's work. It's just we have to be uh, – we've got to be willing to uh, kind of lean into some mm-hmm. some high discomfort uh, not only as students, I mean, it's, it's harder for students, but if we model that as educators, right. I think that's a beginning and that's mm-hmm. a, that's a great starting point. So uh, let me ask you this gentlemen, as we process through this, you know, we have three, uh, fairly distinct ideas of different types of engagement. Where do you, where do you put the priorities? What, what comes first? You know, if you're, uh, if you're going to focus on engagement as a classroom teacher, or as a principal or an assistant principal, um, where do you where do you start? I think it's situational, uh, honestly, Mark. I, it just it depends on. I think there's an idea ideal area that we would like teachers to focus on, but in reality, a brand new teacher is going to be way more focused on, I would think, behavioral engagement than he or she is necessarily on the cognitive mm-hmm. engagement to begin with. Uh, but, but that's just my own personal opinion. I just, I think depending upon where you are 
on the spectrum of experience. But then again, you've got some naturals that come in, first-year teachers that are just on fire Mm -hmm. and setting the world on fire, and they can do this. But I think generally speaking, uh, if if you don't have discipline, you don't have instruction, Mm -hmm. period. Yeah, I I think the place that we always have to start um, is in safety. Um, and so, and that, in my opinion, would come in the uh, emotional engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and by safety, I don't. Uh, I, I mean all all the different facets. We you know we break down engagement. We can break down safety uh, the same way. Obviously, our physical safety mm-hmm. is is the most important thing to start with. Um, and if you don't feel physically safe, how in the world could you? Um, could you uh, could you learn? That's one of the uh, one of the the basic core needs uh, mm-hmm. to to live, and so um, that's why sometimes we have uh, a trouble, uh, you know, reaching our students that that live in poverty uh, because there's not that feeling of safety. So that physical safety first, um, that uh, emotional uh, safety mm-hmm. uh, second, uh, to be able to explore. Uh, new ideas and thoughts and and um, and let me go back to your point about discipline you, if you don't have discipline uh, you're probably right we can't learn um, but I think there's safety in that as well uh, in that uh, a student um, when they have expectations mm-hmm. when they have order right. uh, they feel safe in the environment mm-hmm. to to know where the boundaries are yeah. and I think mm-hmm. that's important uh, to know uh, the boundaries uh, within the classroom and so uh, in order to do that, we have to apply consistent boundaries in mm-hmm. that behavioral safety as well. Um, and then uh, the last part is cognitive safety. Again, um, uh, knowing that it's okay to uh, to screw up, uh, knowing that it's okay to fail, um, and and being able to try again and do again. Um, I will go a little bit on my sock bo- soap box of uh, <laughs> retesting, right? Um we, we've somewhere in life decided that uh, the 70 was this arbitrary number to, um, to allow a student to retest uh, on a grade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, again, will apply that to any, um, any job performance on the face of the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. When you don't get something right, one of two things is going to happen. Uh, either your, um, your boss is going to ask you to move on or they're going to expect you to do it accurately at 100 percent and so why would we not be uh aiming for that um Mm -hmm. and uh and then they're probably going to either give you zero percent or 100 percent of your salary too they're not going to give you (laughs) they're not going to expect you to do 100 percent of the work and then give give you 70 percent of your salary and so or no one would certainly stand for that so um so there has to be uh that cognitive safety as well uh in being free to uh, to mess up and know that that we can we can get better and we will get better. Mm-hmm. My my thought about you know as I was processing through like the practical use of this information because that is something that we you know we, that's really our goal here is to try to give ideas and strategies for folks you know and, and bring things forward and I think as a classroom teacher if I'm sitting and uh, and I'm looking at this student and it's it's obvious that they're they're not engaged they're not being successful. I think, you know, looking at sort of slicing this pie three ways gives you a little bit of a filter as to try to dig in with that kid. Like, what is what is going on with them? Uh, do they feel safe in my classroom? You know, am I providing that kind of structure, that connection? Uh, are they are they emotionally engaged? And, you know, what what about the you know, what about this idea of 
just doing the work, right? Sometimes kids need a little push, you know, and it takes that phone call home to say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I feel like we have a good relationship, but they're just not, they're not doing that work, you know, and, uh, or what type of work, how do I need to tweak the work? Am I, is there too big a gap for them to jump? You know, just being very like conscious of the nature of why they are not doing well, uh, in terms of their engagement and not assuming that it's just one thing or another without digging a little deeper and having the conversation with the kid, right? I mean, that's one of those things that their voice matters and uh, showing them if you want to have that that relational uh, connection with them, hearing their voice around, hey, what's going on? You're not doing well. You know, help me understand. Is it is it an issue with you understanding it? Uh, you know, is it something that, uh, you know, what can I do to make this right? Uh, and keep pushing for that. Yeah, you know, I, I love the points you made about talking to the kid. I mean, it's it's a matter of if you're going to have a relationship, the only way to establish a, re- a relationship is through communication, uh, and that you know it takes a little extra time. There's it's a lot. There's a lot of you have to front load all the work relative to building those relationships. But once you have that done for the 22 or whatever, if you're elementary on up to secondary, maybe 150 kids on your load or more or less, whatever the case may be. But the more work you do in the in the front, mm-hmm. on the front end, the less work you're going to have to do towards the end, uh, and 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 the, it'll 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 pay off because there's less for you to do if you're more willing to uh, engage in that relationship building and talk to them. That's that's so profound but it's small it's, simple thing sometimes right? it's you know sometimes we miss that step mm-hmm. all right well that's all the time we have for today i hope you uh, have a little bit better understanding or at least some thoughts running through your mind about uh, engagement in those three different areas behavioral cognitive and emotional um, on the next part of this little mini series we're going to talk uh, through frederick's book uh, for for the first four myths that she writes. And um, so just a sneak peek of those. If you're interested in getting the book, I'd highly encourage it. But we're going to be talking about um, these four myths. It's easy to tell who's engaged. Some students just don't care. What happens outside of school competes with academics. And hands-on is minds-on. So let that run around your brain a little bit as you um, as you continue your work over the next few weeks and we are getting here right around thanksgiving time gentlemen so i just want to wish everyone a happy thanksgiving and happy holidays as we um as we shut this semester down pretty quick here amen to that happy holidays all right thanks for joining us again you can find us on stitcher itunes radio soundcloud um on twitter i'm at sticks bailey dr underscore jake leblanc and mark mccord 10 Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.